Pastor Xavier Reese and the simple truths and straight talk about man's heart. There's a difference between a quack and a doctor, I hope you know. You got cancer, you go to this quack, he says, ah, take two aspirins. doctor says, listen, I'm going to have to cut you before you can feel better. That's the gospel. The world religion tells you, you're all right. You're good. It's a lie. The gospel says you're in bad shape. You need radical surgery. Welcome to Simple Truths, the daily half-hour study of God's Word with Xavier Reese, Senior Pastor of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California. Scripture tells of the irony that when worshiping an inanimate object, you become as insensate and as spiritually dead as the object itself. And in a Simple Truth study titled, Idolatry Degrades God, Pastor Xavier turns to the Apostle Paul's sermon on Mars Hill, speaking to a culture that was fraught with idolatry. And it was here that Paul delivered the straight talk about the God of heaven as not merely a creation at the hand of man, but the creator and sustainer of life itself. Let's listen. The ministry of Paul at Athens here flows in a natural progression that consists of three movements. First, we have the arrival of Paul at Athens, verse 16 through 21. Then we have the sermon of Paul at Athens, verse 22 to 31. And then we have the response to Paul at Athens in verse 32 to 34. Paul was grieved by the amount of idolatry here in verse 16 as he arrives. The city was infested with 30,000 gods, represented by stone, wood, gold, many of these statues accompanied with their temples and altars, images of Apollos, the city patron, Jupiter, Venus, Mercury, Bacchus, the god of debauchery, party animal, Neptune, Diana, Escalapius, the serpent god that healed. Just to mention a few. The righteous anger of Paul over idolatry was due to his jealousy for God, who was degraded by the horror of this honor and glory that was given to these idols, dead idols in contrast to the living God. In fact, Paul tells the Corinthians, I have espoused you as a chaste version to Christ, and I'm jealous with godly jealousy. The arrival of Paul at Athens was with readiness to preach Christ Jesus. Notice, secondly, we have the sermon of Paul at Athens. 22 and 23, we have the introduction of the sermon. He confirmed that they were religious. The apostle stood in the midst of the Areopagus there. To that hill, the apostle was not led to defend himself before judges, as we said, but that he might set forth his opinion on the divine subject here of the resurrection. They were eager to hear this. He made his observation, notice the word perceived there, means to observe and to consider. It's found in verse 16, 22, and 23. Paul is a very, very good student. He looks around. And he says they're very religious. That's his observation. Now, the translation of very religious does not mean that they were more religious than other pagans, but that they had more divinities to occupy their attention and devotion. You're inundated by it. He carefully identifies with them on some common ground, though. Here's his link. The unknown God. He's going to tie Christ with that. And so he captivated their attention in verse 23 there. The one who you worship without knowing him, I proclaim to you. Well, that got their ears up. 
Because they're supposed to be the smartest people on that hill. And all of a sudden, there's something they don't know. <laughs> the Athenians were worshiping this God on the same level as the others, which was a mistake. The apostle was going to tell them his name is Jesus Christ. Now notice, Paul told them what he was going to tell them. This is his proposition. Now comes the body of the sermon, verse 24 to 28. He declared to them that God created the world, not chance. He just wiped out a whole bunch of philosophers. He's omnipotent, omniscient, omnipresent, eternal. He created the whole world, everything without exception. Wow. He declares to the Creator to be Lord of heaven and earth, so in verse 24. Therefore, He could not be indifferent and far removed from man, as they said. He's the ultimate authority over man. And then in 24 still, he pointed out that the Creator does not dwell in material temples. He is separate from His creation, refuting pantheism. The tree's not God. Water's not God. He created it. He's distinct from it. Then in 25, he declared that God is not worshipped or served properly by man's hands as if he needed anything from man or was dependent on man. Can you imagine that? Now, a lot of preachers, a lot of Christians, Protestant Christians are guilty of this. They tell you how great God is, and they tell you that oh, He can do anything, and then they spend a half hour telling you how God is broke and He needs your money. They believe we have to help God out. Listen, if I need to help God out, God's in trouble. God needs nothing from me. Well, if you don't help us, you know, God, we're going to have to get off the radio. Great, get off the radio. If God doesn't provide, then He's not guiding. Real simple. And the day God doesn't provide here for the radio, the radio goes off. Verse 25, so he told him, it was just the opposite. He gives to all life, breath, and all things. He is the source and sustainer of everything. Colossians chapter 1, 16 and 17 says he holds all things together. He not only created them, he keeps them going. Thank God God doesn't take a day off. In 26, he proclaimed that all the nations are the result of one man. God created. Who? Adam. Adam. Not like anthropology teaches. <laughs> From one man all the nations have come. Boy, he's just destroying these guys. Now, they're either going to receive this information or they're going to reject this information individually. And still in 26, he declares that the same Creator has determined beforehand every nation's duration and their territory to occupy. But we know men have rebelled, right? We cross borders to gain more property. That's why wars come. There's legitimate wars sometimes to defend your nation to whatever it is. But James says, where do wars come? Don't they come from within you? You desire to have, you can't obtain. You ask the myths that you might consume in your own flesh. You don't have to go that far, just your kids, you know. Give them a cookie. Tell them to divide it. Someone's going to get a bigger piece. You understand? And the same with you and me. The problem with the world is sin. Sin has made us very greedy, very evil, very self-centered. Verse 27, the Creator has done all this in order that man might seek Him and find Him. Though He is not far from each of us, being very concerned about His creation of man. So He's not this thing. He didn't start this thing and then take off. So he's just wiped out all their philosophies, both the Epicureans and the Stoics. And in 28, he created man after his image and likeness. Man is to be more cognizant of his life 
His abilities and his health, that is due to him. For in him we move, we have our being. Whether you believe in God or not that created you, he's the one that gives you your next breath. And if tonight he says it's over, Charlie, guess what? You're not getting up. Thank God you don't have to think to breathe to go to bed at night, huh? Now some people do. And they get very little sleep. Now notice in 28, Paul confirms the created relationship of all mankind to God by quoting the words of their prophets, plural. Aratus from Tarsus, who was quoting the Stoic, cleans this. For we are all his offspring, even though it is referring to Zeus, he's quoting them. Because he's saying, even your own prophets say that all of mankind came from one God, one creator. So he takes the common ground and he's pointing them to Jesus. This does not mean that everybody was saved. This does not mean that this poet was a Christian. It means that everyone is responsible as the creation of God. Now, Paul said he told them what he said he was going to tell them. He stuck to his text. He told them about the God who they didn't know. So he told him, this is what I'm going to tell you. And now he says, I've told you what I told you I was going to tell you. <laughs> and the conclusion of the sermon comes in 29 to 31. Since man is created in the image of God, it is wrong to think of God or relate to him through idolatry. For it degrades God and makes a gross error regarding the nature of God who is spirit. Look at 30. The time of ignorance by the pagan Gentiles of the past is over. And now God commands all men everywhere to repent. This does not mean that God did not care or that he ignored it. But that he in his mercy did not destroy them. Completely through their distortion of the Godhead. The call to repent is universal. Notice that there is no exception. All men everywhere to repent. Repent is metanoia. It means to think differently, to change your mind. A 180 degree turn. You agree that you're a sinner. You agree that God created you and that he died for you. And you recognize that you need a deliverer. That's what repentance means. The reason being is that God, look at 31, has appointed a specific day on which... He will judge the world in righteousness by the man, Jesus Christ, who has been ordained by God. God has appointed a day when he will judge the world. Whether you believe it or not doesn't make any difference. God will judge in righteousness. No mistakes. As hard as it is for you to believe that. God will judge man by the person of Jesus Christ who he has ordained. And God has assured the world of this day of judgment by having raised his son from the dead. It's the resurrection that they're looking at. The fact that he raised him from the dead, that's the confirmation that he's going to be the judge of all living and dead. Now Paul told them what he said he was going to tell them, being true to his propositional statement. Very important. There's a difference between a quack and a doctor, I hope you know. You got cancer, you go to this quack, he says, ah, take two aspirins. Hey, oh, wouldn't hurt to put a band-aid. Doctor says, listen, I'm going to have to cut you radically before you can feel better. That's the gospel. The gospel says you're in bad shape. You need radical surgery. The world and religion tells you, ah, you're all right. 
You're good. You're safe. It's a lie. The religious person through idols is contradicting their creator. I uh, think of Psalm 115, 1 through 8. He says, Now unto us, O Lord, not unto us, but to your name, we give glory. Because of your mercy, because of your truth, why should the Gentiles say, So where is their God? But our God is in heaven. He does whatever He pleases. Their idols are silver and gold, the work of man's hands. They have mouths, they can't speak. They have eyes, but they can't see. They have ears, but they can't hear. They have noses, but they can't smell. They have hands, they can't handle. They have feet, but they can't walk. They, they do not mutter through their throat. Those who make them are like them. So is everyone who trusts in them. The one who makes and worships becomes just like their idols, insensate. They can't see, they can't hear, they can't walk. They're, they're, they're spiritually dead. You become like your God. Who's your God? You'll become more like Him. Man is without excuse for the existence of God from general revelation or natural revelation, from creation, from conscience, and from history. Paul the Apostle in Romans chapter 1 verse 20 says, For since the creation of the world has invisible attributes, or His invisible attributes, are clearly seen, being understood by the things which are made. Even His eternal power and Godhead to that, uh, so that they are without excuse. From creation, the sun, the moon, your body, the ocean, you're without excuse. There is a God. We didn't just land here. Romans 2, 14 and 15 says, For when Gentiles who do not have the law, by nature do the things in the law, these, although not having the law, are a law to themselves, who show the work of the law written in their hearts, their conscience also bearing witness between themselves, and their thoughts ex accusing and excusing. By conscience, you're guilty before God. You remember what a conscience was? <laughs> it worked at first, but we banged it up so bad, that sucker couldn't work if it wanted to. We recalibrated our conscience. And we lived in darkness and did what we wanted to and it didn't bother us. And what did we do? We accused others and we excused ourselves. That's what we do with our conscience, ladies and gentlemen. From creation and conscience and history, we are busted. There is a God. Man can only be saved by special revelation or supernatural revelation, the gospel. John the Baptist says, Behold the Lamb of God which takes away the sins of the world. John 1.29, Jesus Christ. He's the one that pays for our sins and has done so. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, and no man comes to the Father but by Him. John 14.6, those are the words of Jesus. You either agree with Him or call Him a liar. There's no other name under heaven or whereby men must be saved. Acts 4.12, pretty narrow. One name, one way. Jesus is the only mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus, verse Timothy 2.5. No go-between, no Mary, no Peter, no Pope, no nothing. Pretty narrow. You have to agree with God or reject God. You do it. He does not reject you. In fact, Hebrews 1, 1 through 4 says, God who at various times and in various ways spoke in times past to the fathers by the prophets has in these last days spoken to us through His Son, whom He has appointed heir of all things, through whom also He made the worlds, 
who being the brightness of his glory, the express image of his person, and upholding all things by the word of his power, when he had by himself purged our sins, sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become so much better than the angels, as he has by inheritance obtained a more excellent name than they. God spoke through many people in the past, and the final word of God is through his son, no one else. It stops with him. The gospel is real clear. It's real simple. You can't miss it. You're without excuse. The sermon of Paul at Athens points them to Jesus Christ. He pointed them to Jesus Christ. Now notice the burden is short, 32 through 34. The response to Paul at Athens. Some mocked the concept of the resurrection from the dead. The preaching of the gospel went against all they believed. Their divinities are God's. The natural minds and enmity against God can't receive the things of God. Romans 8, 7 and 1 Corinthians 2, 14. It rejects it. The God of this world has blinded their eyes. 2 Corinthians 4, 4. But we give to that. We give permission to that. We have our part. Now the natural defense of man is ridicule to demonstrate that he's in control. He loves that. Thinking they can avert personal responsibility to and for the gospel. When in fact they will be judged according to the secrets of men, by Jesus Christ, according to the gospel, Romans 2.16 says. Thinking they are good and will get better, rather than seeing their callous heart, being self-deceived. Ephesians 4.17 and 19 says, This I say therefore, and testify in the Lord, and you shall no longer walk as the rest of the Gentiles walk in the futility of their mind, having their understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, willful ignorance. Because of the blindness of their heart, who being past feeling, callous your conscience, have given themselves over to lewdness, to work all uncleanness with greediness. That's what happens. Now notice also, others procrastinated from making the decision, presuming that they were going to have another opportunity again. They presumed there would be another day to live. Well, who knows that? They did not believe that in Him we live and move and have our being. They thought they were responsible for their own existence. James says, our lives like a vapor of smoke. One day we're here, next day we're gone. James 4.14. And if you can come up to me and promise me you'll be here tomorrow? I don't think so. Notice they presume they would hear the gospel again. There is no guarantee a person will hear the gospel again. It could be the first and it could be the last time. An opportunity for that. The man on the cross is a perfect example of that. The idea that man chooses when he is saved apart from God is very dangerous. Yet you must exercise your free will. They go hand in hand. God initiates. Listen, John fifteen sixteen. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit. And that your fruit should remain. And whatever you ask the Father in my name, he will give you. God initiates. Man responds by the invitation of John 3.16. Whosoever wills can be saved. Notice also, some men and women believed and repented. 34.3 and 34. In 33, the apostle departed from among them. Nothing else is ever recorded about Athens. Nothing is recorded about Paul returning to Athens at all. Now notice the expression, however. It marks the fact that the gospel was successful at Athens. Some say that Paul failed at Athens, but they are wrong. Why? Men and women believe. If one person believed, listen, the success of the gospel is not 
whether people get saved. The success of the gospel is being able to proclaim it. There will always be a response. Once the word goes forth, people are dead or alive by their own choosing. The success is the opportunity to preach. Not the notches on your belt. Not the number of people. Others say Paul did not preach the cross, but the text says he spoke about the resurrection, which not only implies death, but the fact that they repented means that they heard the crucifixion, the death, and the resurrection. A lot of people read into the text subjectively. They, it's wrong. And still others say Paul never attempted to defend the gospel through philosophy. That's what he did here. That's why he failed. And they use the uh, scriptures in Corinthians as he opens up how he says his foolishness, the wisdom of man. And no, 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 no. It's completely out of context. Paul was successful. People got saved. Some men joined him and believed. There were those who responded to the illumination and conviction of the Holy Spirit here. The word join means to glue, to fasten together. Instantly, all the philosophy of Epicurus or Stoic, boom, out the window. Remember? All the years you were in the world, what you believe, you heard the gospel, boom, gone. Just like your hard drive, boom. It crashes. Everything's blank. Gone. That's the power of God. Among them, Dionysius the Areopagite, one of the members of the court of Areopagus. The woman named Damaris. Meaning a heifer. So we'll just leave that there. And the other with him. So there are many. From politicians to heifers to others. They can be saved. I presume you qualify somewhere in there. You know, to you and I, it's not really important what side of flight paper we would choose. But to a fly, it makes all the difference. One, he gets to fly another day. The other one, he's dead. And so it is with you, whether you reject the gospel of Jesus Christ or believe it. The parable of the sower describes to us four hearts and their condition. The seed fell by the wayside, a hard heart. Satan plucks the seed out. The next one on rock, shallow, joy, and then quickly dissipate. The third one is the thorns and thistles, the cares of the world, all these things that choke out the word of God. Every one of those three is by willful choice of man. He yields to God or he yields to this world and the flesh. The fourth one is the good ground. 30, 60, 100 fold. It's a choice, ladies and gentlemen. Where are you at today? The audience at Athens had equal opportunity to choose where they would spend eternity. The majority of them rejected eternity. God doesn't exist. Resurrection, judgment. <laughs> no way. Well, we'll wait and see. It's a heck of a place to be wrong when you're there. You ever been there? You're so sure you're right. And you're absolutely wrong. The response to Paul sealed their eternal destiny by Jesus Christ. Paul's ministry at Athens was successful and it was an incredible experience to remember. The arrival of Paul at Athens was with readiness to preach Christ Jesus. The sermon of Paul at Athens pointed them to Christ Jesus. And the response to Paul sealed their eternal destiny by Christ Jesus. 
you might be here today and not know Christ Jesus, then you need to make a decision which will affect your eternity. But you get to choose. Pastor Xavier Reese explaining eternity spent with Jesus is a free choice of every individual. Seal your destiny with a decision for Jesus today. And with just a few moments left, we're delighted to let you know copies of today's study titled Idolatry Degrades God are available on CD for just $4. And this will also include everything Pastor Xavier shared the last time we were together as well. So once again, the title to ask for is Idolatry Degrades God, or simply mention today's date. You can request your copy by writing Simple Truths, 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. Or to make a request by phone, call 800-926-1485. Again, that's 800-926-1485. Or the address once again is Simple Truths, 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. And thanks for mentioning the call letters of this station when you get in touch. This helps us track the effectiveness of this ministry in your area. And tell a friend to join us for more Simple Truths from Pastor Xavier Reese right here next time. Simple Truths with Pastor Xavier Reese, a daily half-hour broadcast, is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California. www.calvarychapelpasadena.com 